...toward the unhappy faces in the bus windows, but Stote grabbed her by the collar. She sagged in terror. What's this? Bear said. I'm thinking we... about that. Melanie was a better lip-reader than most of the girls, but lip-reading is effective only if you know the person. Bear existed in a whole different universe from Melanie's. She had no idea what he was saying. Bear pushed Susan and Mrs. Hastron towards the bus. The girl swung toward Bear's face. He caught her hand inches from his eyes, shoved her to the ground, and turned to stoat. Then Susan was on her feet again, but he was prepared this time, hitting her solidly in the stomach. She dropped to her knees, struggling for breath. Stoat called to Bear. Where? He? Bear motioned toward a wall of wheat. Melanie followed his eyes. She couldn't see clearly, but it appeared to be a man, small and wiry, his arm raised. Beneath him was the form of a person, the woman who owned the purse. Melanie understood in a terrible flash. The man's arm descended leisurely, a glint of metal in his hand. Stote heard a sudden noise and winced. Bear's face broke into a smile. Melanie saw the motion of the man's arm rising and falling slowly once, twice. Stoughton Bear herded Susan, Mrs. Harstrawn, and Melanie toward the bus and shoved them into the back. Bear started the bus, and a moment later the grey Chevy sped out of the wheat, badly damaged but drivable. Melanie tried to glimpse the man in the driver's seat, but there was too much glare. The car accelerated, fishtailing onto the asphalt. The bus followed. The flashing lights of a police car grew closer. There was a sudden jolt. Bear was following the Chevy down a dirt road. With a skidding turn, the car bounded down a narrow driveway and suddenly broke into a field a quarter mile around. At its end, on the river, squatted a red brick industrial building long abandoned, dark and solid as a medieval fort. The car and bus skidded to a stop. Stote flung open the bus door and dragged Susan and Mrs. Horstrawn after him. A police car paused at the entrance to the field. A trooper leapt out, pistol in hand, but he stopped short when Bear grabbed a young girl and put a gun to her head. The trooper made a show of putting his gun back into his holster and returned to his car. Bear slammed a rock into the chain that bound the building's door closed, snapped the rusted links and yanked the door open. He and Stote pushed the girls inside. The place was dark and stank of some sweet, sickly decay, rancid animal fat. The interior was a maze of walkways, pens, and rusted machinery. There were rows of rusted meat hooks overhead. They were herded into a semicircular tiled room, windowless and damp. The walls and floors were stained dark brown. In the center was a drain for the blood. This was the room where the animals had been killed. They huddled in on the cold floor. The door opened again and the driver of the Chevy stood in the cold light of the doorway. Short and thin with shaggy, dirty blonde strands framing a gaunt face. His T-shirt was stenciled L. Handy. But Melanie thought immediately of the actor in the Kansas State Theatre of the Deaf who had played Brutus in Julius Caesar. The door shut, and Melanie could see his pale eyes and thin mouth. She saw Bear say, Why come here? 
no way out. Then, as if she could hear perfectly, Brutus's words sounded clearly in her mind, the phantom voice the deaf sometimes hear. It don't matter, he said slowly. Nope, don't matter at all. 9.10 a.m. He'd never forgotten an anniversary in twenty-three years. Arthur Potter folded back the paper surrounding the roses, Marion's favorite. The stoplight changed. He set the bouquet on the seat and accelerated through the intersection, hands at ten and two, hunched forward, glasses perched on his fleshy nose. Potter cruised through working-class Chicago. Turn here, turn there. He drove automatically, carelessly. Turning onto Austin Avenue, he glanced in his rearview mirror and noticed the car. The men were in a...